system off, all right? All right, we'll see if it's working. Let's look at 1 Peter 3.15, shall we? So if, I know you're turning, so I'll give you a moment, and they're going to get the tape started. We're, we're looking at the worldview, the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview versus postmodernism. Now, I wouldn't normally dig this deep for a Bible lesson, except that we're, we're purposely attempting to give an apology or a defense against the world spirit. And there's something the Lord has given me tonight that I've never taught before. And in fact, I don't teach on this very often, but there's something even in this lesson. So I'm going to go quickly. Hopefully I won't have to <clears throat> uh, uh, get too preachy here. We can talk and, and think about what is happening in our world. How many notice that the world is in trouble? How many notice that? That the world spirit is getting worse and worse? And, you know, the Bible talks about it would wax, which is an interesting word. It would wax worse and worse. Uh, that's Paul's description. And uh, Jesus e even spoke in this manner. But let's look at 1 Peter, and then we'll be seated, 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Could we read it together? Here we go. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Praise God. Could we just lift our hearts and ask God to anoint his word tonight? Heavenly Father, I pray that there will be special blessing on this message tonight, and I pray that our, our very soul will receive it, and we give you praise for it, we magnify your name, because you are awesome, and we love you, Lord. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Here's what I'd like you to do tonight. I'm not going to speak for response, but I would like you to say amen and hallelujah and glory to God, even if you do not understand a thing I'm saying, all right? Now you might say, well, I don't want to do that. I only want to say amen if I really feel goosebumps. And I understand that uh, I wouldn't want you to be disingenuous, but I'm going to uh, promise you tonight that every word that I'm saying is true and you need to say amen to it. And I don't want to have to speak about this by begging a response. I am not speaking about it to receive a response, but I want you to feel as though that somehow God is going to take this apology and is going to help us to see the soon coming of Jesus. In fact, I believe that the worldview that is dominating our culture is leading us right into the coming of Jesus himself. Does anybody feel like Jesus is coming soon? Can you sense it? <clears throat> Amen. All right, so be, sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man. Now, so we're looking tonight, and you can see here in this overlay, that we're looking at the biblical worldview, that is the worldview, or we, we might say, some might ask, well, what is a worldview? And so I will pause a moment to say that a worldview is just the way people live their lives. 
A biblical worldview means to live according to the Bible, according to its precepts, according to what it says, its dictates, and so forth. But then there is what I am calling the prevailing worldview of postmodernism. Now, I've got a little uh, thing here so you can follow along with me. And, uh, and so basically we're talking here about the, the old, uh, age-old question of man, rebellion, and sin. What sin leads to. But I want to go deeper and use words that apply to our culture in ways deeper than just, well, you shouldn't go to movies, shouldn't have a television and watch sinful garbage, you shouldn't uh, curse and lie and smoke and cheat and chew tobacco and all that. We're trying to go deeper than just, okay, sin will cause you to go to hell. We're trying to look at the way in which the culture is missing its place in the will and purpose of God. The way worldview in, impacts everything that we do. It, we could say sin impacts everything we do, but I don't want to just use those uh, simplistic terms. That's, there's a place and a time. Tonight, we're talking about a defense of the biblical worldview, that the Bible has a worldview. It is not just as simple as saying, well, I have a Bible and other people don't believe the Bible. It's more important than just somebody has a Bible and somebody doesn't have a Bible. The fact of the matter is, if you live according to the Bible, then you're going to have a certain view that affects everything that you do. If you reject the Bible, then there's going to be uh, ramifications. So the prevailing worldview is what I'm going to be referring to as postmodernism. Now, the the point is that how how did we get uh, to where we are? How have we gotten to a world that has rejected the Bible and so on. So the first question on this overlay that I'm asking is, can it bring in utopia? Everyone say utopia. In other words, can uh, postmodernism, in other words, gay marriage and immorality and, and evil uh, Hollywood and, and uh, people swapping wives and whenever they choose and, and uh, just be as flippant and curse all you want and, and have no control, no, no self-control over your life whatsoever. Just whatever you want to do, murder when you want to murder, don't be a murderer, just anything goes. Can that bring utopia? In other words, men just doing whatever they want to do. Will that bring utopia? Now, I mean by the word utopia, can it bring, we could just say happiness or bliss. In, a, in other words, the world's just going to be better, 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 better. Then, of course, we're looking here at uh, the question of the intolerance of the biblical view. Now, some of you may not uh, recognize that I think you do, but I'm, I'm, I'm speaking not just to you. I'm not just trying to uh, 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 speak directly to each and every individual heart here. I'm speaking to uh, a prevailing worldview that says that uh, if you let people sin all they want, watch all the garbage, do whatever they want, then they're going to be the happiest people in the world. All right? We're speaking to this attitude that I'm calling the prevailing worldview, or we could even say the prevailing world spirit. It's the prevailing uh, attitude of the world. Several ways we could talk about it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consistently use the term worldview and call it post 
Modernism. Well, where did postmodernism come from? Why is the world different today than it was 100 years ago? What is going... Now, I don't just mean in the way, uh, the length of dresses and, and the kinds of cigarettes people smoke. I'm talking about there's a, there's a fundamental difference. There's a shift in view from 100 years ago to today. What brought it about? And why do people think that if you'll just let them do what they want, they'll be happy as, as larks? Now, I don't know how happy larks are, but... Somewhere I heard that expression. And uh, I guess larks are pretty happy. And uh, they must sing a lot and whatever. I've never seen a lark. I've probably seen a lark and didn't know it was a lark. Just thought it was a bird. All right, so, and I'm hoping they're birds. All right, so uh, can it bring utopia? Now, the next point is that there has, one of the shifts that's taken place is a greater and greater intolerance of the biblical God. Anybody that holds to biblical righteousness and stands for the, what we might say, the strict interpretation of the Bible, there is a growing animosity and intolerance toward it. In other words, they're not going to let you continue to do that. That's why, for example, they passed a law in Canada that says you cannot preach against homosexuality. From a pulpit in Canada. So it is illegal to get in a pulpit in the nation of Canada and preach against homosexuality, even though it's a Bible principle. Of course, that's another country, and I'm not here preaching nationalism, but there is a growing world intolerance of the biblical God, and there is, of course, then going to be the certitude of judgment. As sure as I'm standing here, there will come a judgment day. Can you say amen? Now, we're going to look at this uh, first little uh, uh, graph that I put together. You can see, of course, that's Moses at the top. And in the, to the right there, that's supposed to be uh, Aristotle and Plato. Uh, of course, Plato's the older and Aristotle was the younger. And there's a lot of interesting uh, history about these two men. But I want to talk to you about the way it impacts worldview. That is to say, the Bible worldview began as... As it's as old as time. When Adam was created, that was the beginning of the biblical worldview. Adam and Eve were created, and uh, God made man from the dust of the ground and all of that. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that. We know that there is a God because of what we call revelation. Can you say revelation? Now, in contrast to the view or the belief in revelation, for example... I believe many things, and the only way that I know them is that they were revealed by God. They were revealed through the Scripture or to men by God. And so we call that, and in this case I'm speaking specifically of the Old Testament revelation. And Moses is, it is an interesting part of it. Now I'm going to see if I can uh, get you to see this. Now we come down here to, uh, <laughs> that's funny, uh, <laughs> okay, so, uh, so the Old Testament period, there's some debate about this, but the Old Testament uh, length of time of the Old Testament was about 4,000 years, and Genesis took up the most of it. The book of Genesis, that is the accounts beginning with Adam all the way up to Moses, that's about 2,500 years, and then you can come over here and you can see the law after Moses comes along, the, the giving of the law. So in other words, all of the Old Testament a revelation about Israel and so on. By the way, there's a tremendous animosity just today. I believe it was yesterday. Wasn't the Israeli election yesterday? 
All you can hear all over America because of the, the, the animosity in the American press. Now, I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me. Not everybody in the press is against uh, the Christian revelation. But what has happened is the vast majority of Americans believe Bible things. They want to understand the Bible. They're hungry to know the Bible. But there is a small minority of those that are, for example, in the press and in politics and in certain, like in universities and so on, and they are determined. They're like, uh, I want to be careful here, but they're like loudmouths. Do you know what I mean by a loudmouth? Have you ever heard that expression? Okay, you've heard that expression. They, they're, they're, they get all upset. For example, maybe one person didn't like it. May have been 100 people there, but if one person didn't like it, they're the loudmouth. That's what's happened to postmodernism. Postmodernism has determined that they are going to rule. They're going to tell everybody else what to do, all right? And so the, the point being that uh, there, are, uh, there are voices today, for example, that, that are saying that we shouldn't be uh, supporting Israel, even though we've been supporting Israel ever since the beginning of this nation. And, and uh, now that's not the majority view. All you got to do is take a poll and you'll find out that most Americans believe that Israel was God's people, that the Jewish people are special. They have a right to be in their land. But what I'm trying to tell you is that we are living in a culture that is swiftly changing and this is because of the worldview that they are living by. So the Old Testament uh, law, the Old Testament uh, revelation, God revealed himself through Moses and all of that. And, uh, and so it was. Now, in contrast to Moses, when God was speaking to Moses and through the burning bush, there were, two other vo- there were two other worldviews going on, what I will call paganism. Can you say paganism? That is the worship of multiple gods. That is to say that you just sort of, uh, whatever you think is God, it's okay to worship like a tree or you could worship the sun or you could worship whatever because paganism says that you worship the result of God. It doesn't matter who God is, which sounds very familiar because we are reverting to it in the American culture today. More and more and more, people are saying it doesn't matter who you worship, doesn't matter what you worship, they're all the same, but I'm going to explain where that came from. All right, so it is that uh, paganism became a very powerful worldview, and, uh, and we might even say became a dominant worldview in the world, but not in Israel. They were not allowed. How many knows that Israel was not allowed to worship any other god? They weren't given an option. They didn't say, turn to channel 55 if you want to worship this other God. It wasn't that way. It didn't say, turn to channel 142 if you just happen to want to worship a God that's a woman. No, it didn't do that. It didn't give you an option. Now, we're living in a day when they're saying, well, it's not fair to have a God who's the father. It's not fair to have a God who became a man. Because he didn't become a woman, I reject that God. Where does this spirit come from? It comes from the postmodern worldview. And it is in complete contrast to the biblical view. Now, there was a third option, though, and it's what I'm going to call Greek philosophy. And I'm bringing it up because Greek philosophy has contributed greatly to postmodernism today. Now, you might say, I don't think so. And I will say, I'm afraid it's so. Now, I want to hurry because there's something that I've never talked about before that I believe God has given me for Apostolic Tabernacle for 2015. I believe it is true, and I believe it's the will of God for us to understand it. Now, Greek philosophers were trying to do one thing. Now, not pagans. Everyone with me? 
paganism, they were not searching for meaning. They were worshiping uh, the sun and so forth. That had nothing to do with search for meaning. But the philosophers, in fact, were. And the search that they were carrying on was the search for what is real. What is real? For example, I may think there's a God, but is it real? Could be that that's from my... uh, evolutionary caveman past and I had this need for there to be a God or something of that sort. So what the philosopher was searching for, now I've given you three names here. For example, Heraclitus, I, I put his name there. Only, I'm, I'm not going to, some of you are getting real nervous. Don't, don't be too nervous. I, I, the reason I use these three names of all the names is that Heraclitus represents the idea in philosophy, Greek philosophy, that nothing was real. That you could look at a river, but you never see the river because the river is moving. And that's the way life is. In fact, I think uh, others would have used fire. The fire is there, but how do you get a hold of it and so on? And they would apply that to all of reality. And so the question then became, I know it's very, very tiny. I'll I'll do it right here like this. Uh, See right here? That's not correct. It should say, is there anything Beyond human senses. In other words, I can look out there and see you. Is that real? Uh, or is, is it possible that there could be an invisible reality? And Plato, right here, that's the reason I'm bringing this up. Heraclitus represents the view that said there could be no invisible reality. But the famous, the most famous of all Greek philosophers, both Plato and Aristotle, though they differed with each other, they began to search for meaning or search for uh, realities. What I guess you could say meaning as well. But it was the search for meaning, but it was the search for, is it really real? If I believe there is an invisible God, is it just my imagination or could it be real? And Plato uh, developed the famous uh, language of the unmoved mover. That there has to be, there is no way that there ha- it could be a, uh, the world could exist unless there was a, somebody that moved it into being. We would say creator, but of course he was no Christian. But uh, so Plato became the most famous, and then Aristotle came along. And Aristotle was famous because Aristotle was his student. Aristotle was brilliant, you know, and he had to prove himself. And so Aristotle began to show where he differed with Plato. And and Aristotle became famous for what I'm going to refer to as the law of non-contradiction. And that is that there cannot be uh, a, a something that's true, let's say A and non-A, and they be the same thing. In other words, if it's A, then it can't be non-A, because that is a law. And they begin to believe that you could answer these questions with logic. You could just logically prove the existence of God, because you could say, well, you can't have this and its opposite and then be the same thing. It's not possible. It is not a possible. In the physical world, that is not possible. And that's how they would have argued it. Now, and so it was that they began to search for meaning. Now, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to go a little further. Hold on. I have to do it that way. All right. So now we come to the New Testament. Everybody say, praise the Lord. I know you think I'm going to go forever, but I'm trying to walk you through how we got to where we are. And some of you will pass out. Some of you will. uh, Sister French, do you have any of the smelling salts, something we could put under their nose? All right. So if they do, if you faint, Sister French has got something, uh, some Crisco oil, something that we could just do like this. Or not Crisco oil. What is it? 
something, uh, one, just get one of these trees, go get some of those uh, bl blooms out there. Have you ever smelled those things? All right, get some of those, and that'll help us. Now, so we come now to the New Testament revelation. That is God revealing himself in the most powerful way. And so this reminds us, for example, of Hebrews 1. You say, why aren't you reading lots of scripture and, and proving scripture and so on? Because I'm talking about worldviews. I'm not trying to prove a, the text of a scripture. I'm trying to explain how we got where we are. Why we're in the mess we're in. And why people do and live the way they live. And why there's this angst. And why people are running. I want to tell you, there has never been a time like this where people are wondering maybe I should give God a try because the world is losing its mind literally all right so uh so the new testament revelation of God in Christ he came he died and so forth now we might say then that this is conservative and so I'm going to term it conservative and I want you to listen to me because some will be offended and if you're offended, then you really need to take an aspirin. And I would try the low-dose aspirin, the little tiny one. You need to try that. Put it under your tongue and keep it under there for the rest of the Bible study. If the word conservative and the word liberal offends you, because I am not speaking of politics, I could care less about politics. I am speaking of theological viewpoints, and they, they consistently refer to Bible believers as conservatives. In other words, in the history of the world, and I'm not talking, we're talking about Christianity now. We've left the idea of Greek. Some of you are having a hard time following where I'm going. All right, so we come to the New Testament. So the question is, what do people believe about God in Christ? All right, there are those that we would call orthodox. Everyone say orthodox. Okay, that's going to bother some of you. You might need a second aspirin for that one. I never thought of that. Or might, we might have to come up with something stronger. All right. The word orthodox is simply a word that some people use for conservative. Are you following me? I'm talking about the way the world looks at religion. They will talk about orthodoxy, meaning people that look at the Bible and believe what it says. They believe that the Bible is a revelation from God. The belief that one's religious faith descends directly from the Bible. It also usually means something like uh, th that Jesus is God. Now, but we'll, we'll, go, we'll go further now. So then if this is true, and, and for the most part, the, the belief in the New Testament revelation was that the Bible is true and what we read about in the Bible is true. How many ever heard anybody say, uh, now just stay with me. I know I'm, I'm not going to slow down here, but how many ever heard somebody say, well, I don't, uh, the, they never parted the Red Sea. Anybody ever heard that? They never parted the Red Sea. Moses never went through the Red Sea. Anybody ever heard that? Well, that's liberalism. That's the theological view that the Bible is false. For example, someone would say, uh, I could name names. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the slightest interest in knocking heads with these guys tonight. I'm simply telling you that it is a worldview that has decided that the New Testament revelation of God is false. That there is no such thing. Jesus may have never even lived. I guarantee you in a couple days, if you get the, uh, what some of these magazines, I won't name them, I'm about to name them, but it's almost Easter, there's always an article about how Jesus this and Buddha was better, and uh, Jesus, well, he was this and he was that, and, and there, I, I just saw just uh, a few days ago, somebody were talking about how the apostles were, were so mean, the mean old, oh, those mean old apostles. 
That's all they're getting ready for Easter because there are millions and millions and millions of people that believe in the Bible, believe in the apostles, but there's these guys out there. They're determined that they're going to undermine everything religious. And so there's the, there's the conservative or the orthodox, and then there is, and we might, we might say biblical, and then, of course, there's liberalism. And liberalism says no. Now, what I want to do is answer the question, what went wrong? Where did, how did we get then to this liberalism? And the answer is, and I move on quickly, by forsaking God and his word. That's exactly how we've arrived at 2015, where the world is increasingly uh, troubled and, and we don't know uh, if, if we can even stop these religious fanatics. We don't know how, what's going to happen. We don't you know who to trust. We, I mean, America, in the world, uh, there, there's this, uh, when I was in England studying you, it was exactly the same thing. People were constantly talking. I was uh, trying to get to a meeting one day at the university, and they blew up a building not far from where we were. I had to tell sister, I didn't want to tell her. Hon, they just blew the building up nearby. I didn't want to tell her that. It was bad enough as it was, me over there and her here and so on, because there's so much angst. And what I mean by angst is concern and fear and trouble. The idea that what's happening to the world, what's going on. And some people's answer is, well, uh, quit being a Christian. Christians are the problem. Quit believing what you believe because what you believe is the problem. And so where did that come from? Where does this idea come from? All right, it came from the forsaking of God and his Word, But there was a time when literally the world was captivated by the word of God. So I also want to tell you this. The loss of truth has resulted in the loss of meaning. People cannot understand when you lose truth. For example, do we have a creator? No, we came from a monkey or something like a monkey. We're not sure what we came from. If you want to go far enough back, we came from a tadpole. But uh, if you want to get a little closer to home, then we came from a uh, descendant, or I mean a, a pre, pre-monkey. I guess we could say a pre-monkey. We have all descended from pre-monkeys. They're not monkeys, because we can't find any connection to monkeys. So we just make up a pre-monkey. There's this other thing, and there's a bone. They found a bone, and this bone is, is their little cheeks were a little different. So those little cheeks must prove a different monkey. Those are pre-monkeys, and that's must be what we came from. And so we, there's angst about this. Our young people don't know who they are. What's the purpose? What am I even in the, what's the purpose of this world? They have no understanding whatsoever. The loss of truth results in the loss of meaning. Can you say amen? I, I keep trying to do that. I'm, I'm sorry. All right, here we go. Now, this is the most complicated uh, one we're going to look at. Lord, help me, I pray. Let's lift our hands and ask God to help us to receive it. Father, we only have a short time to receive this apologetic tonight. I pray that our hearts will be able to receive it in Jesus' name and comprehend what has happened to our world. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Now, what you are looking at here above the Bible are 600 years. You see, for example, I'm going to try to get a, a dot to come up. Ah, all right, so the first one is the, tw- is the, the I'll call it the Dark Ages. Um, some people don't like that. That's not politically correct, and so they call it the Medieval Age or something else. All right, so, um, so this era, I, I want to talk about, I've got to spend time there, but what we're looking at then, you see, so I'm going to move down here, try to, uh, and that is the Renaissance. So there are basically 600, everyone say 600, 
600, that was pretty weak, but that's okay. I know you're getting tired and, and you're starting to think, oh my goodness, where is he going? All right, so um, we're looking at basically 600 years in which uh, religion began to completely lose its way. And here's how it basically happened. In the Dark Ages, the, the voice of Thomas Aquinas began to argue. And so if you look at me, I want you to watch me. Of course, this is Thomas Aquinas. That's his, uh, uh, some portrait of him. Uh, and I don't know if that's even remotely close to what he would really look like. I have no idea. Uh, but that's a fairly common depiction of Aquinas. Aquinas was considered the smartest uh, man that lived for probably four or 500 years during that era, just before the Renaissance. Now, during the Renaissance, there were other great men that were considered even greater than Aquinas. But Aquinas believed... So he was a religious man, so I'm, I, I know that some people think Aquinas was practically God, and so uh, you, you have to think about what I'm saying and not think I'm just trying to be uh, hard on people. Aquinas believed that the will of man was fallen. He believed the Bible, but he did not believe the entire Bible because the Bible said that man was depraved, or Romans tell, tells us that, that man was completely fallen. Are you with me? Adam and Eve sinned, and when sin entered into the human race, man was completely uh, depraved, or uh, everybody say, praise the Lord. Now listen to me. I want to I define what I'm talking about. So that man be, was 100% uh, Captured by sin, as it were. That doesn't mean he's nothing. Didn't mean he wasn't good. Didn't mean he had nothing good about him. It meant that he could not of himself save himself. That his everything, his entire being, his entire person was fallen. All right, that's the biblical view. But Aquinas decided, very, very smart, that he was going to agree. Now you listen to me. Some of you are not listening to me. He decided as a Christian he would begin to agree with the Greek philosophers that man was actually basically good. And the way to explain this must be that the will of man was indeed fallen, but not his mind. His mind was free and could come to conclusions 100% correct. In other words, he was only partially fallen, and so some of you are wondering, why did I put... Now, some of you, here's the dot. I'm going to come back to the dot. I want you to look at that dot. All right. Now, I couldn't do it very large. I want the Bible to be in this picture. And I want you to see the 600 years. And I'm, I'm about to close. I'm going to go on. But how many can tell what that's a picture of? Where that dot is. It says, the will but not the mind is fallen. In other words, Aquinas began to, to offer what I am now calling the beginning of humanism. Now, it wasn't just Aquinas. But Aquinas is the most important figure that said man is basically good. His mind, his, he may be fallen, his will, he, he's a sinner. And, and he was right, he was a sinner. But his, his mind was capable of knowing perfectly everything that needed to be known. And that is a lie. Nothing could be farther from the truth than to say you are not a complete sinner. But Aquinas decided otherwise. So what is that a picture of? Anybody think you know what it is? It is the picture of an open door. Because Aquinas, and I have said this now for many years, Aquinas opened the door 
to postmodernism. He began the, just a little uh, crack in the door. You could see the light from the other side that was saying to people, you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to accept God. Why, there's dinosaur bones in the earth. Just wait till Darwin gets here in uh, four or 500 years and you're going to realize that you don't even need a God. That was the crack. In the door. Now you'll notice one more thing, and I am trying to hurry, that there's 100 years that has a uh, box around it. Do you notice that? Does anybody notice that? Okay, that is the Reformation, because the Reformation was the one sane moment in those 600 years when the Renaissance came along, and uh, the Enlightenment came along, and uh, 1800s came along, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump to that in a moment, but the Reformation said, wait, 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 there's got to be an answer, it's not Aquinas, it's not the papal authority. See, many Christians said, what we've got to do is get one man to tell us what to do, and so they elected him, called him the Pope, and so on, and so they would say whatever the pope says that's the voice of god how many have ever heard of papal authority the idea was that we'll get someone to tell us what is true and so the the there was those that said no 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 the answer is to go back to be reformed by the presence of god the will of god to get back to the bible and so they got into the bible and that began what I call the great revival of the last days so that we now have a Bible uh, belief, a Bible hope that is going alongside the postmodern idea. Now, then we come to the end of the 600 years into a period of time that you can see that I am calling, I'm skipping the enlightenment, I'm not naming names, although there are dozens of important names that we should, could, could in and would have if it would have helped us any. Uh, and that is now, when you get to the 1800s, after uh, 1200s, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 600 years, you come to a time when we now can say that Christianity has been completely inundated by a non-Bible-based Christianity, which wishes to force its views of God or not of God on everyone else. It is tired of people telling them to get their Bibles out. And I, this is most often called liberalism, but is also, and I'm going to switch from liberalism. Everybody say, praise the Lord. I don't, I don't need a lot more time, but I do need you to keep saying amen, at least so that I know that you haven't already uh, gone home. Just say with me a few more minutes. Okay, so that liberalism now, the, the common term, I call it liberalism, but the most common term for it is modernism. The idea that we came from monkeys, that we came from lower life forms, that eventually earth had nothing on it. God never created anything. The Bible's a big lie. It's a hoax. It's just a bunch of malarkey. The apostles were crazy and so on. But yet they are Christians. And so what they were, in fact, let me see. I mean, I, I don't have a way to look ahead. Okay, I, oh, hold on. Okay, let's say we're, we're, we're okay with... This didn't go on forever. I can stop at any moment. So the idea was that the answer to the question of what is real is the way you answer it is with your mind. And that's what Aquinas opened to Christians. Because the idea was all I have to do is whatever I think, I can be as smart as God. Because I, have not, I am not a sinner in my mind. I'm only a sinner in my will. 
and, it, and that has all kinds of ramifications. Some of you may think, well, what's the difference? So I don't have time to go there. What I'm trying to explain is that it opened the idea that from the mind you could know everything that you need to know. And so it began to try to argue that there was no God or that the God of the Bible was not the, God, the real God. There was a God. How do you know? That is called epistemology. How do we know whether Jesus ever walked on water? Can we trust the Bible or do we need to throw the Bible away and so on? And that became known as modernism. And it began to, it began to, uh, to lead the universities and the seminaries and so on. And, and they tried their best to take over Christianity. And they utterly failed because in the final analysis, I don't mean by that that there aren't liberals. What I mean by that is in their attempt to say we, we can know, in fact, let's go to the next one. So postmodernism followed because liberalism or modernism itself failed. So let's ask these questions. Now stay with me. Here we go. The first question is this. Did God reveal himself? Okay, that's the belief in God. Did God reveal himself? If so, then we, then uh, is the Bible true? Is what the Bible says about itself true? And so on. Or, I would say or, can all things be known merely by the senses and the mind? That's liberalism. I can know the answer to everything by simply using my mind. I can come to answers. And the fact of the matter was, after hundreds of years of an attempt to find a satisfying answer to the belief that we could know there was a God, we could know God, or that we could prove there is no God. Either one, would liberalism would be happy with. There is no, what I'm calling here, the, there is no God liberalism. It failed because in the end analysis, it can, God cannot be known. Right here, here we are. See this? God cannot be known apart from his revelation. There is no way in this entire world for anyone to know anything about an invisible God, whoever he is, except he reveal himself. And when liberalism began to collapse, the church and revival, that was just about the time. Are you with me? Some of you need to wake up. Stay with me another minute. That's just about the time Azusa Street began to take off about a hundred or so years ago and revival began to be poured out and they said, God is dead. There's no no hope for religion. And just about that time, the Holy Ghost fell and spread all over the world. And there became a shift. They abandoned liberalism, or let's now call it modernism. I'm doing this on purpose because most people call it modernism. But they abandoned modernism and they turned to its pessimistic new modernism, which I'm now going to call postmodernism. And that is, aha. We thought we could know whether there was or was not a God with our mind, but now we know that you can't. Because we tried it for 600 years, and the new view, the postmodern view is, you cannot know anything. You say, I love that person. No, you don't really know that. You don't know anything. You may think you do, but there is no basis for knowing anything. Now, we're down here. Since the certitude, uh, that is, since knowing, everyone say knowing. 
In other words, the ability to know, the basis for knowing anything. Now, you and I have a basis for knowing. We have an epistemology that's based upon the Word of God. I know. Oh, yes, I know. Hallelujah. How do I know? Because His Word has told me. His Word has revealed it to me. God has spoken to me. Praise God, praise God. I know who he is, praise God. And so they hate that. The devil hates that more than he hates anything in this world. And so since modernism said that certitude is impossible, there is no way to know. That was the whole history. Now, just take my word for it. We can go back to Schleiermacher. We can work our way all the way through those 600 years. Men, year after year, struggling with how can I know whether there's a God or not? And in the end, they could not know. You cannot know whether there is a God based on your mind alone. And so postmodernism said, forget it then. Nobody can know. The Bible's bunk. Nobody can know. And there is no way to find out. So this led to what we now call the new tolerance which is the old intolerance. And that is that we must now accept everything as true. So uh, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre said, he was, I think, maybe as close to a postmodernist as any man ever was at the beginning of the last century. If you choose to help the little old lady across the street, that's moral. But if you choose to kill her, that is equally moral. Because it was an act of your will. You did what you wanted to do. And no one can judge your act immoral because there is no God. There is no way to know if there's a God. If there is a God, he left us long ago. And so the postmodern view began to say we must accept all views of God because we can't know God, we can't know anything about Him, we can't be certain of anything. Therefore, all views of God must be accepted as equal. And so they have been trying now for 150 years to get all people, and this, by the way, and everyone said amen, so all beliefs must be true and so forth. Now, I'm trying to hurry, so I'm going to go quickly because I, I want to end this, but I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me. Folks, you can say what you will. You can take your Bibles and leave dust all over them. Or you can understand that this is the book of God. This is the very word of God. And without it, we end up in what I am going to describe tonight as the storm of the end time. Now, I've never quite thought of it this way, but I want to ask you two questions. The first one is, how is... This is my question. I've never asked it before, but I felt very strongly in preparation thinking this is, this is exactly where the Lord is leading me. How is this new modernism? It's, I'm saying mindset here, but we could say worldview. The postmodern mindset. How is it perfect, see that, for the fulfillment of prophesied end time events? Or is this just the imagination of some preacher who, you know? And I'm going to suggest that 
I believe this is where we are in our culture. Because if Jesus comes tomorrow, what has brought us here? Why would so many people be lost because of a, a, a failed, foolish, nonsensical view of the world? And my second question is, so you, how many understand the first question? And I, I'm, I'm trying to wrap it up. How is the postmodern mindset that we've been describing all right, we did it. I've never taught this before like this. I, I'm, I'm trying to be, give an apology for the biblical worldview that the postmodern view that says you can't know anything, you cannot have an answer, you cannot say this is true or that is true. There's no such thing as that is true. That's postmodernism. You can't say. Now you can say this seems to fit the evidence and you can say this is good in, in Chicago or this works over here. But it, it doesn't work. There's no such thing as a universal truth. And there's no way to ever prove or know if there is or was a God. If there is, then we'll never know it. That's postmodernism. How is that perfect for the fulfillment of prophecy? Then my second question is, how is it like the tornadoes lull before the storm? It's suspended debris. In other words, how many have ever heard? I've never seen, uh, I can't say that I've ever seen it, of course, although I've been in several tornadoes, but I'm talking about actually seeing the suspended uh, things. Now, stay with me, I'm almost there. That things get swept up into the tornado. How many know what I'm talking about? Like the funnel, for example. Um, I don't know if this is true or could be proven. I'm not, I'm not, Please give me a little latitude here. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm using a little imagination here. I, I've heard or read or something that things have been caught up into. I, I did, by the way, do a, a search and I could not find any photos. So I cannot say that I know this is true. But I have read that you could, for example, a cow could be caught up into the funnel and, and, it, and it, would, it would circle around and... I have heard, now I do know this story, um, and I don't have time to tell, I won't tell the story, but um, it's one of my ones I spent a little time researching to see, could I, was that person lying or was it true? So I spent a lot of time, because uh, it was on, uh, what's her name, Oprah uh, Winfrey, is that right? Is that it? Not Okra, right? Not Okra Winfrey, but Oprah Winfrey. All right. She's a famous... Uh, personality and uh, one of the richest women in the world and she interviewed this couple this family that got into their bathtub from Jackson Tennessee uh, yeah Jackson Tennessee and the tornado hit their home caught them up pulled them up into the uh, funnel is it, am I saying that right the funnel a tornado funnel all right, went up the center of it, and, and they said, I read their story, folks, I read everything I could get my hands on about this family, and, and Oprah uh, Winfrey interviewed them, had them on, and they did this big thing, do you believe their story, because in their story, here, here's basically their story, that they went, the, the two boys and the mother got in the tub, they went up into the tornado, they were screaming, screaming, screaming in a few minutes, and then they suddenly, they came down, and they landed in their front yard. And the house was gone, everything was gone, except there were, uh, 
the, the, they had been baking cookies, and the cookies were on the uh, sheet, and they were hot, and they were sitting there, and, and uh, the mother uh, picked up one of the butterscotch cookies, and she took a bite in disbelief, and everything was gone except the cookies that had been in the oven. 98% of everybody that heard their story believed it believed that their story was true. And one of the most interesting things about their story was their description of, of course, the children, not the children, but the mother, uh, seeing everything. It was like she said, you were in suspended animation. You were caught up. Now, uh, and so I've asked, how is it like the tornado's lull? Uh, and lull before the storm is probably the wrong, but you, how many know what I mean by a lull before the storm? Uh, that's more like on a lake or something. But you, you understand what I'm trying to get at. Or the susp- suspended debris and the impending path of devastation. In other words, I believe that what has happened in the world is a switch in mentality to where we are now rejecting basic... Re- we are rejecting even the very basic things about life and we're saying none of those things matter. Marry who you want. Do what you want. Go where you want. Anything you want to do. That's what's happening to our culture. And it's like we're seeing the world in suspended disbelief up in the middle of the storm. Now, here, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, there we go. Can you see that? How many can see what that is? I've not looked at it. I've only just found it. I tried to find the one where the cow was up in it. And there's no such picture. If there is, fine. I'd like to have it. Just uh, not that I'm going to use it, but it would be interesting. Are we good? Are we good so far? Okay, we're, we're almost there. Now, this is an actual tornado. Doesn't matter where, doesn't matter. I'm not interested in giving you the details of this picture. But how many see that this is an example, not of the funnel and everything being up in the funnel, but the way in which the storm can pull all of the debris, and in this case, it truly is debris, and, and since I don't have a way to magnify it and see if there's people or, I mean, I wouldn't want to see that, but you know what I mean, uh, to see what those things are. It looks just like a bunch of boards or something. And uh, in fact, if I were just guessing, uh, can, I, can I blow? No, I can't. I thought we could enlarge that, but we can't. But you can see, okay, let's do this. See right there? How many see that right there? Okay, that's where the actual, uh, I guess we could say the funnel is, but it has hit all of that housing and it's all blown up into the air and the pressure is keeping all that debris floating as it were. That is not an unusual picture. That is to say that what I'm describing in the storm of Uh, of a tornado can be that things are swept up into it and it is like it is held up there for a short time. I believe that what we are seeing in postmodernism is going to be short-lived because Jesus is coming. It is, in fact, the deception and the stupidity of the end time that is causing people to say, oh, we, we, we just came from, that you say, like I can say to someone, uh, well, they'll say to me, well, you know, the monkeys and, the, and, and, and we basically have the same kind of toes and, as the so-and-so-and-so and the nose. And, and I say, yes, okay, 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 but now listen to me, listen to me. 
If that were true, now talk to me, talk to me. If that were true, that we came from those, those creatures you're describing right there, those bones that you're describing, that we all, I can look at you, look at, we're looking at the same bones, right? Where are the intermediate links between those bones? Wouldn't, okay, we know that, that these bones had to be laid down by sediment. And, and water and so forth. And then they were covered over. And so there those bones are. We, there, there, there's the bones right there. We see those bones. Where then, if all these things evolved over millions of years, where are the forms in between all of them? There would have to be intermediate forms, my friend. Well, I don't know, but they're, that, they're blind to it. You might as well be talking to a brick wall. Because they are suspended in the storm of the end time spirit. And the Bible says, you may not like it, but Paul himself said they're going to believe a lie. That is to say there will be a spirit that holds them in in a deceptive disbelief. And so it will be. So I'm telling you that postmodernism is the debris of disbelief. That not only has abandoned God, but it abandons man. It abandons man to the ultimate loneliness without a God. With no way of distinguishing between a monkey and a man or a machine. And it distrips him like right here. It distrips him of eternal value so that he never knows if there's a truth or not. He never knows his God. And he's told that Jesus is the biggest liar of all time. But I say to the devil tonight, God will never forsake man. God is always right and always truthful. And while Satan and sin and modernism leaves man with meaninglessness and the hope of a hopeless evolution so that this evolution is the worst form of despair that man has ever known. Man does not even have the capacity of asking why in this mentality because they have long ago lost their way. What is my purpose? They've quit even asking it because they would just say, well, poof. Man simply cannot live. Now listen to me. Man cannot live in this suspended debris. He may say he can. Oh, man, I'm in a party. Man, I took some adjust, sniffed it up my nose. Man, I, I was, man, you wouldn't. Be. They may say it all day long, but there's something deep in their soul. They must create a meaning. That's where movies have come in. Movies have become the new meaning for many young people today. So they, be, they, they can't wait to see. That's why you dare not preach against their favorite singer. Because that's their new meaning. And that's what they have come to know. But Psalm 119 says. Forever O Lord. Thy word. Is settled. In heaven. The Bible is indeed. Could you get your Bible. And let's lift our Bibles up. Let's stand. We're, we're done here. The Bible. Is the source. Of the revelation. Of God. 
Every word. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Man was created. His whole being fell into sin. And the fall resulted in man shattered by sin. But it did not make man a nothing. It did not mean he had no soul and no future. What it did was it gave man even in his sin. In fact, God loved man so much that he said, go ahead and nail my hands to that wooden tree. I'm going to come myself and redeem this world from their fallen nature. Man made in the image of God was not valueless, but he was in fact made in God's image. And this, this, this senselessness all about us cannot hold even a flicker of a candle to the glory and the power of God. That's why it takes a minority to keep saying such things, but it only takes one little candle to dispel all of that darkness. Hallelujah. <laughs> it only takes a little bit of the glory of God for man to recognize himself again. I recognize myself again. Could we just lift our hands and love the Lord tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's pray for somebody tonight. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. I magnify your name tonight. Lord, I'm thankful that nobody bound by sin tonight is hopeless. There's not a one of them that's a nothing. They are all made in the image of God. And somehow, Lord, you can make all of the difference.